Hello and welcome to The Huddle, brought to you by Wilson, au.wilson.com, the official ball of the NBL. And uh, oh my goodness, there is a lot going on in the NBL landscape today. Um, and uh, we've got John Casey on to break it down, uh, the, uh, the voice of the NBL for oh so long. I love talking hoops with the man. And um, I felt like with all this big news breaking, Will Magne signing with the Perth Wildcats, Andre Lamanis announcing that he's going to finish up his time in Brisbane and all that is happening with Josh Giddy and the Adelaide 36ers in Case's hometown there in South Australia. It was uh, only right that we got the great man on for a chat. So I know you'll enjoy it. Lots to get through. Sit back, relax. Up next, John Casey. Case, thanks for uh, for jumping on and um, welcome to the Huddle Podcast. Thanks for having me, Liam. Always a big fan of this podcast as well. You've had some great guests as well. So a lot to live up to, but I uh, really <laughs> like the way you're handling it and driving it in the NBL media. It's uh, some very interesting chats you've had. Appreciate it. Well, I've been, uh, I've been waiting to get you on. Um, because uh, you've obviously got your finger on the pulse and, um, and I love your, your insights on the game. Let's start with Will Magne because that's the big news of the day. We're recording this tick after two o'clock um, Eastern Standard Time uh, today and uh, the news just dropped by the Wildcats that they have signed him for the remainder of the season. I mean, this is, this is monumental in terms of the context of the championship race. What are your... Um, initial thoughts having heard that news become official? Full credit to the Wildcats. Uh, they're an outstanding organisation that the other teams and clubs in the NBL have to aspire to. Mm-hmm. And not only do they pick up Will Magne, but they also deny Will Magne to another championship contender. And a lot of people might suggest that they don't really need Will Magne after their win last night. You know, I think it opens the door just a little for the others as well because bringing Will Magna in at such a late time when they are going so well and what John Mooney has done all season and now trying to have to, you know, they're going to have to work that in. They don't have a lot of time. So I think it disrupts them a little bit, but hats off to the Perth Wildcats. They're not 10-time champions in the league for no reason. They've won the last two. They're desperate to make it three in a row. It's one of the boxes they haven't ticked as a franchise. But uh, I say more power to them and other teams catch up to the wild. Yeah, I agree. Well said. And they should make no apologies for uh, for, no. The, for having the ability to do things like this, the ability to re-sign Bryce Cotton and the ability to go into the luxury tax to the extent that they are this season, they should make no apologies because of the way that club has operated on the floor and off the floor for such a long period of time and the rabid support that they've built up amongst their fan base puts them in that position. And that's exactly what everybody should be striving to become. Liam, they're elite. They're world-class. Mm. And the NBL needs that. And they set the standard. They raise the bar. The other teams just have to go with them. And yes, financially, maybe some teams can't. But it's... Uh, you want to be as strong as you can and get as good as you can. It's not about bringing someone back to the field. It's about having a runaway leader, which they are at the moment. I often think back to the fact that when the 36ers won their fourth championship, they were equal top of the ladder with Perth with four championships. Now, Adelaide have still got four. Perth have got 10 and maybe 11 coming. 
So we've got some work to do here in South Australia. But make no mistake, Grant Kelly and the 36ers are well aware of that. And they realised because it was the Wildcats who stole their blueprint and now mm. have charged away with it for Adelaide. They're determined to catch up and bring some of that back. And while they're walking a finals tightrope at the moment, Adelaide, don't rule them out. I was at training earlier today. And there is quite a buzz around them at the moment, obviously with Josh Giddy and mm-hmm. Isaac Humphreys coming back. Brandon Paul really turning it on. Although mm-hmm. I can reveal exclusively that Brandon Paul did not train today. Mm. Uh, he went and saw the doctor. He's a little unwell. They do think he's going to play on Sunday in Sydney. They really can't afford him not to because they've just started to come together. Mm-hmm. And uh, Brandon Paul is so important for them. They've got three games in eight days. Sydney, Illawarra, Sydney. They win all three, Liam, and results go their way. They will be in the top four come <laughs> Sunday week. And uh, you wouldn't have thought that, say, a couple of weeks ago. No, they they are tremendous. I'm just uh, finishing off writing about them in my column for, for the, wrapping up the weekend and um, singing their praises. They're, they're my headliners as, as far as the studs are concerned for round 16. But, Case, let, if you can, let's try to just park the 36ers for a moment or two. We <laughs> will track them from the Wildcats. We, will, <laughs> we will circle back to them, rest assured. But there's a lot to pull about, a pull apart about this Will Magne situation. And there's a lot to pull apart from, from what you said initially, because you hit on a couple of really important points. And one of them was the question about their chemistry. And you said perhaps this move, rather than shutting the door on everybody else, where if you, you know, you look at some of the reactions and people saying, well, that locks in the three feet, you're saying, well, actually, maybe it potentially might open the door ajar again, because as we know, chemistry is a magical beautiful thing that can come and go as quickly as as anything and you know i think about back to their 2009 championship the the one we're all talking about they need a third import and the like now I know that they were they were trying to get Carrick Felix into the country to make that happen and it didn't and in the end they won and Trevor Gleeson sat there in John what is now called John Kane Arena after hoisting the trophy and he was asked about that situation and he said sometimes when you've got you can have too much talent when you've got all the right pieces and you are rolling um, it's best to not put a cat amongst the pigeons now he, in their announcement today, called the signing of Will Magnate a no-brainer. Do you feel like it, if you're in his and Troy Georgiou's shoes at the Wildcats, it was, in fact, a no-brainer? Or do you think the fact that they're playing as well as they have all, all season, they did what they did last night to Melbourne United, makes that a little bit more blurry? I think it was more of a risk not to go after Will Magnate. As I say, you get Will Magne, then you deny him to any other contender. I mean, there's a plus straight away because you throw Will Magne into another team and all of a sudden they become even more difficult to beat in the series, which is going to decide the championship. So no brainer without a doubt, they had to get him. But it does, as I say, open the door for other teams because what John Mooney has done all year, what Bryce Cotton has done at the start of the year, and I think we'll get to discussing Mooney's MVP credentials ahead mm-hmm. of Bryce Cotton, which we've discussed in the past. I think that the only thing that is going to, that makes this a good fit for Perth is the fact that Bryce Cotton, I know, and John Mooney, I consider, are probably the two best imports who can make room for a third wheel, if you like. Mm. Some imports may not have had the ability to share what the love that they had 
We're going along nicely. Hang on, who's this new guy coming in with 10 games to go, disrupting what we're doing? John Mooney, to me, looks like the guy will just go and do whatever you want him to do. And he's done it all mm. season and he's been outstanding. Mm. So it was a no-brainer for them to get Will Mag. Now, I mean, what a shot blocker, what a defensive presence he's going to be. We know that he was outstanding in his last full season here in the National Basketball League. And that's why he went across to the United States. And that's where he's destined, I think, or even into Europe. But um, it will take a little bit of time for adjustment. And while they were very impressive last night against Melbourne, I'm not convinced that they're playing their best basketball right now Mm. because New Zealand have been their bogey team. Adelaide beat them by 15 here a couple of weeks ago. Mm. And that still remains Adelaide's best performance. Now, can Adelaide beat them in a three- or five-game series? Well, you would doubt that. But Adelaide, really, I thought they, they unpicked Perth a little bit and they do know their role so well. And I guess the other thing that is such a positive for Perth getting Will Magna is the fact that they've got the best coach in the competition right now. Trevor Gleeson doesn't get the respect or doesn't get the plaudits that he deserves. But that team is so well coached. Mm. I mean... Mm-hmm. He outcoached Dean Vickerman last night. And it's not the first time he's outcoached someone this season. Um, coaches like players have good games and bad games, but he, Trevor Gleeson doesn't have too many bad days. He is an absolutely outstanding coach. And I think having Will Magnay, as I say, with those two imports and the way they operate, the selflessness around them and the way that they're coached, well, they're certainly going to be hard to beat. Will Magna is going to be a good fit for them. I don't think it's going to disrupt them too much because Mitch mm. Norton is another one. He'll just say, well, I have to reduce my minutes or I have to go and do this. He'll go and do that. And mm. that's why they had so much success there because the buy-in is there. Mm. Wagstaff, the captain's going to anyone's sort of bottom lip starts quivering about Will Magna coming in and taking this or taking that. Wagstaff will be all over that. And I doubt mm. that that's going to happen anyway. Mm. I think they're locked in. That's all about winning, Liam. We all want to win. The Perth <laughs> Wildcats want to win. Will Magna is going to make them more of a chance of winning than bring it on. For sure. Um, it's been very interesting in the background, the process of Will Magna signing with the Perth Wildcats because um, he you know, was going to have surgery in the States. That was the expectation on, on his troublesome ankle. I... I spoke to um, Matt Nielsen some time ago and asked him about, well, what were his impressions of Will Magna in the, in the G League bubble? And he said, look, he was really good considering the fact he was playing on one leg. And I said, well, one leg, what do you mean? He said, his, his ankle's really been giving him grief. So it came as no surprise to me to then hear after he'd been waived by the Pelicans that he was going to get some surgery on that and get himself right for the Boomers camp and the like. But all of a sudden, that was off the table. And now I was hearing word, okay, well, Magna's looking at potentially coming back to the NBL. He wants to play for a contender. There were conversations with a number of those clubs around that, that level. Um, and the Perth Wildcats were the ones who were most keen as quickly as possible. Now, my understanding is they flew him out, put him in quarantine and said, let's work out the particulars once a year, but let's let's start ticking off those days. Now, they also had some extra games up their sleeve. You know, they had some games uh, postponed recently, so they've still got 10 games on their schedule and needs to play or be a part of the team on the active roster um, for nine games. He's going to get that opportunity to come out and play this weekend. But then, of course, there was the Brisbane Bullets situation as well. And so my understanding of his release to the Pelicans was that there was a a release agreement put in paper and signed off on. But as part of that agreement to the, to release him from the, that contract, then 
there was a payout involved. And when he was coming back to the NBL, that payout was still hanging in the ether. And so the Brisbane Bullets, instead of sort of um, waiting to uh, the pressure on them to either uh, um, allow him to play for anyone else or not, what they were really doing is putting their hand up and saying, can we get that paid? That needs to be paid for the terms of your your initial release to actually be finalised. And so my understanding is that that's been the, the, what's been going on in the background. It's disappointing that the relation, some relationships between Will and his representatives and his family and the bullets have soured because they've been a really, really important part of his development as a Brisbane kid, a local kid signed there as a development player and working with Sam McKinnon in the background to develop his game and the like. Um, but that all of that is what's opened the door for the Perth Wildcats to, to, to make it happen. And just to finish off, I mentioned on NBL Overtime during the week, Melbourne United getting involved in the conversation as well. And my understanding is there was there was a phone call to the representatives and say, hey, um, let's talk. Um, we're keen. Um, and my understanding is the message that they received back was, you're a little late to the party. We are well down the line here with the Wildcats. And here we are. Well, it's good points that you make, Liam. And I think it shows a maturity from Brisbane as well. I mean, the... Will Magna isn't the first player that has been through this scenario where he's left the team to go overseas and come back with the concept that he was going back to his original team and it didn't play out that way for whatever reason. And it's, uh, sometimes it does leave a sour taste in the mouth of some people involved in negotiations, but that's, that's pro sport. It, it's not only here in Australia and it's not restricted to basketball. These things happen all the time. And you now if you're Will Magna and someone's going above and beyond and showing love to you and wanting to do everything they can to get you involved in their franchise. Plus, you know, you're going to a finals bound team that has championship success. And ultimately, I think I mentioned it before, we all want to win. You want to win the championship. So, well, Magne, uh, I don't have a problem with him going to Perth. And I just, I, I you know, dropped my hat to Brisbane for being so mature about it and saying, well, it's not going to happen to us. Could they really get Will Magna? Could they have a four-headed monster with their three seven-footers there with Hodgson and Harrison and Froling? It wasn't going to work there. Mm. Um, and, you know, I'm not surprised Melbourne put their hand up as well because, as I say, part of the success of Perth are deriving from this is the fact that no one else has got him. Mm. If Melbourne get him, they deny Perth him. You had to put a bid in and say, mm. well, we want to go hard as well because... They can't beat Perth at the moment without Will Magne. Mm -hmm. What hope have they got with Will Magne? <laughs> but um, I think recency bias annoys me a lot. That game last night, I'm not too concerned about that because you look at it in a series-type scenario. In every series, the roles get reversed. So they could they dropped that game last night. They weren't at their best, Melbourne. Perth, obviously, uh, were too good. And as I say, I thought they were well-coached and, and did what they had to do. But... I certainly wouldn't write off Melbourne just yet, even with Magne going to Perth. Um, but so getting back to your original point, as I say, I think it's a maturity from Brisbane realising the circumstances and that's the way it is. And you don't want to throw the toys out of the cot when things mm. don't go your way because down the track, well, the Wildcats might be inclined to show some love towards Brisbane when something similar or if there's an area where they can support them and what they're trying to do given that Brisbane were man enough to put their hand up and just bow out of this and say, we don't want to make this ugly. We want the best for Will. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's just leave it at that. As long as we get what we are uh, is obligated to receive, then we have no problem with him going there. You talk about everyone wanting to win. Um, look, th there's, a, there's kind of two races going on right now, I feel like, in the NBL. There's the race for 
the um, regular season title and who is going to have um, home court advantage throughout the playoffs. Um, and then there's the race to, to make the top four, you know? So there's one battle going on between Melbourne and Perth right now for me. And there's another going on between Southeast Melbourne, Sydney, Illawarra, Brisbane, and Adelaide, New Zealand can continue to dream the dream if they like, but they're out of the picture. What? Let's focus for a second on Melbourne. And you were talking about that that you didn't, you haven't lost confidence from from either last night or the signing of Will Magnate about their championship aspirations. Um, there was some, there was something that I saw last night that really concerned me about that for Melbourne because they're what they're. Their offense has been a bit shaky throughout the year and they've been their success has been built on having the best defense in the league and they've been absolutely outstanding in that regard. But Bryce Cotton is the scheme bender. And it was and John Mooney was unbelievable last night and he hit four or five from three and all those types of things, but he got all those wide open threes because of Bryce Cotton. And maybe this leads us into that that conversation you were talking about about Mooney or Cotton and the and the MVP considerations. But all it, all of the attention that they throw to Bryce Cotton, the bodies they throw at, at him on pick and rolls and pick and pops and those ball screen coverages is why everybody else gets open. And um, he, he Bryce last night tore their defense apart, tore that league best defense apart. And it wasn't always him knocking down the shot. He had 10 assists. He was throwing it and they weren't only the ones that guys knocked down and they didn't count for the ones that he that were hockey assists that he was able to throw out of those doubles and then it kicked on to someone else. He is the guy that in a five game series, if he can, no matter what coverage they throw at him, different teams, he tends to find ways to have an enormous impact. And that's the one thing that gives me pause about Melbourne's ability to beat this because Perth at the offensive end with their with their they're always going to be solid defensively but with their scheme that Trevor runs with them and the individual brilliance of Bryce Cotton geez it's going to be very very hard to beat them <laughs> it is it must be a nightmare for the coaches every time you see Perth on the horizon you don't think he comes Perth you think he comes Bryce what are yeah. we going to do but yeah uh, I know from Adelaide's point of view, Sunday Detch really embraced it. And if you've got mm -hmm. a great defender, and I think Melbourne have got some very good defenders, so they just need to do a better job. And I think, again, going back to last night's game, yes, Bryce had a career-high 10 assists. Well, Melbourne have had a good look at that now. And now they need to make some counters. And mm -hmm. I think sometimes, maybe not last night, because I must admit I only saw bits and pieces of the game. I didn't watch it in its entirety. And sometimes that can give you a false sense. But I, I just think that teams need to concentrate on their own offense. And this has been something of mine that I've, you know, that I've thought about for many years. That teams look at what are we, how are we going to react? Well, what about how are we going to be proactive? What are we going to do? And we get them thinking about us. We know there's concentration. There's going to be a lot of work put into Bryce Cotton. What we do to him and John Mooney. We need to stop this. We need to do that. Let's be proactive. And it might sound that. You know, it's a little, a little naive in terms of a strategy. But, you know, you keep scoring at the other end. Well, you know, put some pressure on them. Scoreboard mm. pressure. And Bryce, as we know, his shot hasn't been working lately. But then again, he can miss 17 in a row and hit the game winner like he did against New Zealand. From mm. there. You just never count him out. But, um, look, 
I, as I say, I think Melbourne would have learned a lot from that game last night. I think I just noticed some areas that it was fraying at the edges a little bit in terms of team chemistry there. And when you consider the injury problems that they've had, and like every team, I spoke to Connor Henry today about that, and he was quick to point out that Sydney's uh, injury problems, when he said we've had injury problems, and he quickly corrected himself and said, well, hey, and don't uh, forget Sydney have probably had the worst of it compared with us. So mm -hmm. every team's had to deal with that. But Melbourne, I just thought... I wonder if it's all getting, you know, it's been a long season. It's been tightly compacted, lots of games. I'm sure the players are tired, but this is where you need someone. And that someone for me is Chris Golding. I think Chris Golding needs to set the standard. And I think he's been a little guilty of it himself. He's looked a little disengaged at times for whatever reason that may be. It doesn't appear to be on the same wavelength as the coach. Well, this is the time where you need to put all that to one side and say, us are going to do the best we can and mm -hmm. make it us, not me, not Mitch McCarran, not Jock Landale, not whoever. It's us. And if our best, as we've seen all year, is good enough, we can shut down the Wildcats. We need to do a little bit better here and there. We need to work for one another. We need to know the scout. We need to be just switched on 110% of the time. Melbourne is still there. And mm. Mm. You know, they're, they're going to serve it up to Perth. If that's the grand final scenario and it's a likely one at this stage, well, you know, you put all that to one side and they're right in it. I, mm. I, I would certainly, you know, it's Perth have got Magna. Yeah, well, you know, I think that's sort of, um, you know, I'd look beyond that because, um, as I say, I don't know exactly what sort of an impact Magna can have and, in fact, mm. might even be a little bit of disruption. So Melbourne are right there, but it just comes down to the mindset and if the players are prepared to sacrifice and buy in, then they're certainly right there. Mm. I think it's a really interesting point as well that you make about Sunday Detch, because if if I'm looking at, I think a lot of a lot of teams have taken the approach with uh, Bryce Cotton this year, especially at the start of the year when everyone thought this Perth Wildcats team doesn't have doesn't have the talent surrounding Bryce that other teams have had. So what we're going to do, and Southeast Melbourne Phoenix did this in particular, we're going to, we're going to get the ball out of Bryce's hands. And we're, going to, we're going to make other guys beat us. But those Wildcats role players are so ready for that. They know that they know like this is what we do when we play with Bryce Cotton. We get ready to knock down open shots. And Todd Blanchfield and Clint Steindl and John Mooney and, and Mitch, even Mitch Norton and, and even Kevin White. And Wagstaff, yep. these guys are ready to, and, and they've proven over the course of the year, they are ready to do that. And I think the teams that have had a little bit more success, I think Melbourne were um, a little guilty of that last night. The body, the, 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 um, the attention that they threw at Bryce gave other guys wide open shots and they knocked it down. And the teams I think that have had a little bit better success against Perth have had that one guy, that primary defender, elite at that position and that role who has taken it upon themselves to really make life difficult. Now, for Adelaide, that, of course, is Sunday Detch. For New Zealand, that, of course, is Tom Abercrombie. And those guys have, have just dedicated their entire night to making life difficult for Bryce. Now, it can't just all be that guy because there's ball screen coverages and you need to get a bit of help and, and, and on, on those. But I think as a, as a general strategy... Um, the idea of let's just double and triple team Bryce Cotton on those and get the ball out of his hands. And if we are late on closeouts to those other guys, so be it. I, I, don't, I don't see that working. I mean, I think back to the decisive game in the grand final series last year. That's what Sydney did with Perth. And Nick Kay stepped up and hit seven threes and essentially won them the title. And I think that sort of 
a bit more of a determined and, and Melbourne have those guys, you know, if you can go with Sam McDaniel and Shay Illy and Uday Baba and Mitch McCarron, they can throw different bodies at him throughout a series. But I reckon it's a little bit more of a straight up approach with Bryce Cotton and just do the very, very best you can. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. And, you know, I think I saw Bryce described as the best player in the world not playing in the NBA at mm. the moment. And you can certainly mount an argument for that. Uh, mm. He is outstanding. And, but, you know, those great players, it's you just have to work through. I don't know, do you make Mooney a focus and take away what he brings? Because you're spot on about the role players with the Perth Wildcats. And that's mm. why I thought Kevin White was such a good pickup for them. Because I think last night, three steals... You know, he, he doesn't do a lot, but he harasses people. His mentality is that I'm going to contribute in one way or another. Now, if that's hard fouling someone or if that's chesting someone, talking at someone, you know, but he still can knock down a shot. He, as I say, he had three steals last night. He gets in your head and every single player on that Perth Wildcats, and that's why they've had the ultimate success for so long because you can look at the list and they're all there. Tommy Jervis has come back this year. There's another one. Wagstaff, Greg Hire, all those players. They've been happy to contribute and not be the main man and take all the kudos for it. Because I think when I do uh, research coming into games and so forth, the Wildcats stand out in the sense that they have Cotton and Mooney as their primary scorers. Then you mm -hmm. have Blanchfield. And then it goes down to about six. Every other two, I think Adelaide has got seven players in double figures. Mm -hmm. Melbourne last night, you know, had four or five in double figures. Mm -hmm. Perth have two plus Blanchfield. And as a three-point specialist, well, that can be hit and miss, as we know. Even good players can have a quiet night. And all of a sudden, you're going to beat Perth, I think. You know, but their role players just stick to the plan. And as it comes back to the coaching again, Trevor Gleeson, what he's able to instill in this team and the camaraderie and the their body of the essence that they are as a team, that's where the other teams need to catch up. And that's what they need to match. And that's, that's selfless doing everything for the team that you sacrificed your game. And they need to find, it's difficult, isn't it? It's easy for me to sit here and say, this is what you need to do, but try and stop Bryce Cotton. Mm -hmm. And as you say, you, you double team him, he makes the pass. You triple team him and he will still knock down the shot. Mm. It's almost, you know, you can throw your hands up and say, this is all too hard, but then you're not <laughs> going to win the championship. So they just need to work on that. But mm. as I say, I still think that, the, you know, the Wildcats, I, I Perhaps their best is still yet to come and they might need it. But we saw in the championship series last year that, you know, when they needed to perform, they were able to perform. And mm. I go back one year prior to that, one mm. season earlier, and the Cairns Taipans in Perth and that first semi-final game, well, you know, they, they probably should have won that game. They win the first semi-final in Perth, go back to Cairns and were close to they win there. Mm. All of a sudden, in the grand final and Perth are gone. And it's... Um, and it wasn't down that... To, wasn't that yet again uh, 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 that third banana or that next guy up ready? I mean, wasn't that Tariko White in that game one that stepped up and, and knocked down a whole bunch of shots because Cairns did exactly that. They said, well, our whole game focus at the defensive end is to get the ball out of Bryce Cotton's hands and it landed in Tariko White's and he knocked down big shots. Yep, yeah. So as I say, so if, if you can, Lock down Bryce and keep him out of the game and don't let him get off the hook with 10 assists like last night. Mm -hmm. Then that third scorer becomes Blanchfield. Mm -hmm. As I say, Tariko's a little different. Yeah, he could hit the three, but he also could penetrate and get close to the rim. And, uh, you know, Blanchfield, he can certainly do that as well. 
don't get me wrong, because, uh, you know, his game is getting more crafty with each season that he plays and his floater, his penetration there, that's dangerous as well. But I don't know that he can be as consistent as, say, a Tariko White was. And there is that opportunity there. If you can slow down Bryce and John Mooney, then... And Blanchfield has a quiet night, and you think, well, we're going okay here. Mm-hmm. And then Clint Steindl's going to come on the fourth quarter and knock down five threes <laughs> yeah. and blow you out of the water. That's right. So That's they, right. They're absolutely unbelievable. Um, <laughs> let, let's, let's circle back to what you were talking about before, about that, that MVP conversation. Um, because you know, there's, you know, there's other guys. Nathan Sobey's been unbelievable this season. Casper Ware has the Sydney Kings in third place right now, despite all the struggles that they've had. Jock Landau, without necessarily having the kind of stats that a guy like John Mooney's putting up in the front court, um, has been, if you want to talk about the word valuable, he has been all kinds of that for Melbourne United, and then they're currently the latter leaders. But specifically the conversation around Bryce Cotton and John Mooney, And I think you and I even discussed it on air a little while back. And I said, you have to be the MVP of your team before you're the MVP. We we spoke about it before we went on air one night during the NBL Cup back in February or early March it was. And I suggested that John Mooney was going to be MVP. And you argued that how can you be MVP without being MVP (laughs) of your team? And I think I mentioned the fact that, well, plenty of players have won the Brownlow medal and not Mm -hmm. been best and fairest in their team. And they're done on different... Um, scales. So and, mm. and I'm glad to see that our good friend and colleague, Pistol Pete Pooley, mm. is jumping on the John Mooney for MVP bandwagon. <laughs> I noticed even ESPN's Olgan Ulich is now promoting is John Mooney the MVP ahead of Bryce Cotton. I'll tell you right now, he is. Bryce, we put no, the numbers up last no, night no, in the no, coverage. Yes. No, 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 no. Hold no? on. Come on now. You're, you're going to say that, that, that last night is an example of where he didn't score and he had 10 assists. Well, put it this way. I think John Mooney has had a more consistent season Mm -hmm. and the numbers that he has put up match the numbers of Bryce Cotton. Mm -hmm. So, And he's been more consistent. So that's Mm -hmm. my argument is why I would have John Mooney as MVP because Mm -hmm. his numbers are elite and so are Bryce's. John Mooney has done it for 18 double-doubles. His numbers have been more consistent and he continues to be consistent. I'll tell you the one thing that really stands out to me about John Mooney, not Mm -hmm. only top 10 in rebounding and scoring and 50% from free and everything else that he's done. John Mooney has not fouled out this season. How has he dominated the rebounds and been such a factor and never fouled out this season? It's just extraordinary. Mm. And I think you can present a strong argument that he is going to be the MVP of the league. Um. I think it's important what you said there about the Brownlow voting and what Pete, what Pete Hooley has said about if this was done on a game-by-game basis was the disclaimer that he put on it. And the fact is, it's not. It's not anymore. And this is kind of the reason why, is so that you can take a broader view of the season and the context of a, of a player and their influence and, and what happens within the team. And you don't... It's not just done off the box score after each and every game. Now... I know for a fact, because I'm part of the voting process, the Perth Wildcats club MVP is done like that. So there's a very good chance that John Mooney, based on that approach, may be the um, the, the the team MVP for the Wildcats. And I was going to mention... Maybe. Not maybe. He will be. He I, probably no will. No, you, okay. And, uh, MVP. I, I was going to mention, Olgan, putting it uh, further on the agenda 
today, uh, last night and today. And he talks about, you know, um, it might be time to start talking about him as the, the, the front runner. That's not discounting cotton season and the like. And then he, he, he looks, he, he talks about the numbers. He says saying Mooney is just cotton's Robin is a bit lazy. Now, I want to point you also to some comments on Twitter from uh, our, our good mate, Paolo Kennedy, who writes for NBL.com and uh, has been writing for such a long time for FIBA and the NBL and the like. Smart basketball mind. And his response was, this would be like Paul Rogers getting ahead of Ricky Grace in 2000 or like crediting the waiter for the chef's cooking. Both Rogers and Mooney, great seasons, but the result of Grace and Cotton as Mooney has said often, and of course, John Mooney did talk about that post-game last night. And he said, I'm getting all these great shots, these open looks because of BC. He said, I'm not even going to entertain it. He's the best player in the league, period. Uh, what do you think about that? It's those comments from Paolo Kennedy, because that's, that's the sentiment and the viewpoint that I share. Yeah, I've got a lot of time and a lot of respect for Paul Kennedy and what he does. He's a very astute mind. He's been around the game a long time and, and he knows basketball. He knows the NBL inside and out. I don't always agree with Paul. Um, you know, we're not always going to agree, all of us, on everything. But I don't always agree with what he says. But, you know, I, I just think that now John Mooney, that just tells you about John Mooney when he says, I'm not taking any of the credit. This is happening because of what's happening to Bryce. And here I am naked. He's still making shots. For he's sure. still shooting 50% from long range. He's still got to make those shots. And he's able to do that. So, yes, Bryce attracts all the attention and opens it up for other guys. But I love the dunk John Mooney had last night through the paint. And he's not known for that. That's not his calling card. Three mm -hmm. guys collapsed on him. Oh, I'm still going up, throwing it down. There you go. Give me another two. Back on go. I'm going to get another rebound. See you later. It's just his yeah. attitude and the way oh. he goes about it. It's just... He's been I unbelievable. Mean, he's a first-year pro. He's rookie of the year, though. He can't win that one. <laughs> And he's MVP of the year, even though maybe he's not going to win that as well. The poor bloke, he may not come back from Australia. How he's not in the NBA, I just don't understand. But, um, look, you know, basketball in the sense that the point guard's going to be running the show, does that mean that, that a big is hardly ever going to win? You know, I think Chris Anstey obviously was MVP of the league, and it's rare for a big man uh, to be able to win that award. It's always a guard. It's always the guy. It's like a quarterback being the MVP of the Super Bowl, isn't it? I mean, it's pretty hard for him not to be because the ball starts there and he's got to do the job for you to your team to win and it's hard for anyone else to actually make a contribution large enough to take that uh, that prize away from him. But I, I look, I I think John Mooney's done enough this year, uh, particularly when you look at those numbers that were put up on the broadcast last night about Bryce Cotton's three-point shooting. Hmm. Yes, he... He had 10 assists last night, but his three-point shooting has gone off the boil for an eight to 10 game stretch here. And as I mentioned, he missed 17 in a row and then hit a game winner. So, so where does he fit in that scenario? If I hit the game winner, we had a scenario here, I digress a little in football here in South Australia last week, where Ash Johnson plays for Sturt, kicked a goal in every quarter and kicked the game winning goal from the boundary line. Now he won the game for them, but he wasn't the best player. So it, it's really hard when you, and as you say, it comes down to the criteria and how the voting is done. But John Mooney will be the Perth MVP. And I think he deserves to be the MVP of the league because without him, they, they wouldn't be where they are. And he has held this together while Bryce has been down. He's held it together 
John had, Mooney hasn't been down that Bryce has had to carry the team like John Mooney has had to carry. What, he had 30 and 14 last night? Yeah. Um, so and he's had, he's had one bad game the whole year, John Mooney. One bad game. I didn't even know he had... Didn't even yeah. know he had one bad game. Well, he yeah, uh, and he, he sprained his ankle and played played hurt and 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 didn't have his kind of usual uh, influence. He has been absolutely unbelievable. I just look at it from the perspective of every single game, the the focus for the opponent is Bryce Cotton. That's the problem to be solved when you play the Perth Wildcats. You don't. Your energy is not for. And, and maybe teams might need to rethink this a little, but perhaps with the inf- influence that he's had. But the, the, your 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 focus starts with Bryce Cotton, and then it kind of veers off from there. And 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 my perspective is: look, if everybody all season long just played Bryce straight up and didn't didn't defend him in the kind of ways that teams have been all season long where they've been throwing their always their best defender, even pulling guys out of, from out of position to come and, you know, that's not his, you know, that's Sunday Detch from, from the small forward spot, or it's Tom Abercrombie from small forward spot, or um, they're finding their best defender and putting it on him. And then they're doubling him. And then they're hard showing him and then they're bumping him and doing all kinds of things off the ball. And it's all designed to kind of limit his impact. If they just played him straight up, like you would, you know, another player, an average player around the league, uh, we, we, we wouldn't even be anywhere near having this conversation because he would have just been putting 40 points on the board and, and just torching teams. But the, I look at it from the perspective of it's, it's the, this award is not who has put up the best stats. It's who, who no. is the most valuable player. And I think if you it's, ask Trevor Gleeson, who is your most valuable player? He said, John Mooney has been absolutely unbelievable this year but it all starts and ends with Bryce Cotton. And if you asked Will Weaver a couple of, was it? Uh, no, if you asked Andrew Gaze that season with uh, that Andrew Bogut won the MVP, now he wasn't the statistical MV, uh, uh, the highest stats guy of the season. But if you asked him, or if you asked Andre Lamanis or uh, um, Dean Vickerman or anyone around the league and all those coaches and captains who, who voted for that award, why did they vote for, vote for Andrew Bogut? Well, because he was the most valuable player over the course of the season. I think that's what separates Bryce Cotton in this conversation. Yeah, and it's hard to argue against that. I mean, you're dead right. It's not about the stats. I mean, Bryce is their most valuable player because he disrupts what the other team straight away, they're distracted by him mm-hmm. and it allows other people to do other things. And yes, I guess if, if Bryce was not playing this year, would Perth be the team that they are? No, obviously not. Would John Mooney have the influence and the numbers that he has? No, probably not. So, I mean, I understand where you're coming from. And I just, I think that it's it's so, I know can we, we've had joint MVPs in the past, Rob Rose and Andrew Shedd, I think Scott Fish. <laughs> we? From the so same team? Probably... <laughs> Could you imagine well, it? <laughs> stranger things have happened and as I say I think that's probably credit to the uh, you know the situation where the Wildcats as I say I think their MVP I think is John Mooney whether he's the MVP of the competition well obviously Bryce Cotton is certainly hard to beat um, and without him the landscape changes dramatically for Perth so it's uh, it's an interesting scenario but certainly I mean you could make a very good argument for both players um, and I don't think it's as lopsided as most people say you just got to give it to Bryce uh, it's a lot closer than that and uh, either would be a worthy winner of the league MVP the, the fact that we're having a 
lengthy and, and interesting conversation about it at this point in the season about the two guys from the same team is, is absolutely incredible. And to think that we've come yeah. there from where we were when Nick Kay signed in, um, in Europe to this point where his replacement of first year pro is involved so heavily in that conversation is an unbelievable credit to that young man. And, and I'm sure he's, he's got massive bright things ahead of him. I, I mentioned the name Andre Lamanis before case let's, let's pivot in, in this direction because that's massive news. What dropped yesterday, I'm pretty sure it was from the Brisbane bullets. And it was, it's been mentioned in advance in recent times, body knowledge has been all over it for a period of time in particular. Um, He's finishing up with the Bullets at the end of this season. Five years with the club. He was there, put in place when the club came back into existence ahead of that 16-17 season. And he's finishing up at the end of this season and moving on. The word is that there's a suggestion that he might be going to coach in Japan. And that certainly has a lot of heat to it. What are your feelings upon hearing that news that he's not going to be the Bullets coach next season? Really disappointed that the league's going to lose him, Liam. Um, look, I've, I've worked closely with Andre. My uh, standing in the NBL goes way back when Andre was a player. I can remember mm. him being a bench player there in Melbourne. Um, and then as an assistant coach in Townsville and when he was assistant to Ian Stack. And the one thing that I, I remember from those real early days when I was speaking with Andre was that he was always a student of the game and he always wanted to come and have a conversation about something that had been mentioned in the coverage or something he saw going on, or you may want to look at this. He was, he was always so open and giving with his time. And I had no surprise he's gone on to be an extremely successful coach and one of the best we've ever had in the National Basketball League because he is just such a smart man, such a driven man. He sacrificed so much. I really hope that people celebrate these last few weeks with him while he's here. Um, I had a long text discussion with him just last night because it was a shock and my I was disappointed. It was it was like losing a teammate to me because, mm. you know, as I say, having been there when he was a player, then when his first gig, when he was an assistant coach in the NBL, um, having been in Rio with the team, having been in Spain at the World Championships, and then the you know, the greatest highlight, having been in Melbourne with him when we defeated the United States and what he has done should not be underestimated. Yes, the championships and so forth, but everything else that he's done. Coaching is such a tough gig. I don't know why anyone would do it because rarely do you get the credit you deserve, but always you get the criticism coming your way. It's always the coach's fault. And it took Andre some time, I have to say, to warm to the media in the sense that we're not the enemy. He was always reluctant about sharing inside information, uh, I guess you build up that trust over periods of time um, to the, the extent that there during that Australia versus USA series, he was quite happy to share information that was useful for the broadcast team without it being uh, like talking out of school, so to speak, with, with the team. You know, he, he knew um, that he needed to embrace everything around that. And I think that shows in his coaching as well with the team. That's not easy to coach those guys who are from teams overseas, NBA players, this, that, people coming in with uh, the wrong attitude or the right attitude or this. I, how do you manage that? Um, and the sacrifices that he has made along the way for 
Um, his family sacrifices that they have made as well. He has done an outstanding job. And I really hope that the basketball fraternity just stop and pause and think for a moment about his contribution. Because in 10 years' time, we're going to look back and say, wow, what a good job Andre Lamanis did as a coach. He might be coaching Latvia by that stage. And, <laughs> but in Japan, and I, I wish him the best. And this is what I said to him that, you know, I wish him the best of luck for what lies ahead. I hope one day he comes back. Mm. We're seeing it with Brian Gorgian this year, mm -hmm. um, a different style of Brian Gorgian. Yes, similar in many ways, but a little more mellow, a little more relaxed. And I really enjoyed chatting with Brian when he came here to Adelaide with the Hawks and they're coming back again. So I'll look forward to, to speaking with him again then. But I'm, I'm a huge fan of Andre Lamanis and I just think he's done a lot for basketball in this country, not just the NBL, but on the international stage as well. And the mm. respect that he has from international basketball peers, I think uh, can only be healthy for Australian basketball. No, you're right. It's, it's, it's sky high. He's more respected internationally yes. then sadly he is here which is remarkable because he's won that, three he won three championships in a row in this very league and yet for some unknown reason yeah. people continue to whack him and i think the reality is case it's been a result of um the frustration of the fact that the boomers weren't able to get over the line in in, in and get that elusive medal what he did i agree with you with that team and i've been one of his most vocal and um uh, supporters over the over a period of time, especially in his role as the Boomers coach, because what what our, our guys did under his leadership was simply spectacular. And if it wasn't for a couple of rubbish calls and a couple yeah. of missed free throws, um, he would be uh, you know there'd be we'd be celebrating rather than commiserating what happened in those instances. But I think some of a lot of it comes back to what's happened in the Bullets um, in his time in Brisbane. Because, you know, I'm interested in your assessment of, of that period of time. You say you get, a lot of, you get a lot of criticism in that role as a coach. And I think he's copped a lot for his period of time in Brisbane, five years. It's, it was an essentially an expansion club. We were familiar with yeah. the, the, the brand, but they needed to start absolutely from scratch. They started with a couple of wooden spoons over the period of that five years. They've had one finals appearance, no finals wins. Um, they're not completely out of the playoff race right now. It's going to be fascinating to see how things play out from here. But how do you assess his time in Brisbane? We know that the breakers period of time, he built that up to the point of becoming an absolute powerhouse and the envy of the league. What are your, your thoughts and your, your, what's your assessment of his tenure as the Brisbane coach? Well, I don't think there's any doubt that he would have liked to have enjoyed more success there with Brisbane, but you make a very good point was an expansion club when they came back in. And we know expansion clubs invariably are going to take longer than a five-year period, uh, particularly in the NBL, to have their success. So I think that in the five-year period that we're going to look at, yes, he would have liked to have had more success. But you look at the trials and tribulations of a startup franchise, so to speak, um, and we know the hit-and-miss nature of getting imports this season, we spoke about it earlier, about when Vic Law was rolling, I thought Brisbane, particularly because of their point of difference with the three seven-footers, I thought they could match it with other things because they can be proactive to Perth's Bryce Cotton show mm -hmm. because they've got three seven-footers and they can make you adjust to them as much as you have to make your adjustments for what Bryce is going to bring to the table. And that's why I thought that if Vic Law stayed healthy, and who knows, mm -hmm. BJ Johnson may, uh, may be... Uh, 
the, the thing that gets them across the line and into the playoffs, and then we get a good matchup. Um, but I think while they didn't have the success in terms of championships or as many trips to the finals as they would have liked, look at the quality of players that have followed Andre to Brisbane. And I've got no doubt if he was there for another two years or maybe, you know, however long it would take, but he was building something there. And it was on occasion, it was two steps forward, one step back. He had, if they had Lamar Patterson, if he hadn't been poached and taken to New Zealand and the way he played the other night and has played in the last couple of games to show you how good he is, uh, you know, two-time club MVP there in Brisbane. They had the tools that I think they could have enjoyed success moving forward. But, yeah, I mean, any coach that doesn't make the finals will be disappointed that his team hasn't made it, regardless of the circumstances, because ultimately the buck stops with the coach and that's why they have to wear the criticism. And it's just a case of if you don't get there, then you're going to be criticised and it'll be seen as a failed season you didn't achieve. And I think from Andre's point of view, yeah, he would have liked to have enjoyed more success there. But only four teams are going to make the playoffs every year. And in fact, there's only three teams and Perth who make the playoffs every year or have done since <laughs> 1985. So there's only three spots up for grabs. And of course, yeah. there are other teams with perhaps uh, more... A bigger, you know, salary cap to yeah, be able yeah, to recruit budget, players. Yeah. So you know, it, it it makes it hard, and you know, Adelaide suffer from that scenario as well. But um, I think it's not through Andre Lamar's coaching or lack of ability to recruit people that they haven't had the success that they would have liked in Brisbane. Um, even though I'm sure Andre would have preferred that they were perhaps in the finals and. It would be a nice way to finish if they were to make finals. And they're right in the mix at the moment. Um, I think a lot of people are discounting Adelaide. I don't. Uh, I'm not allowed to. I live in South Australia, so I have to keep flying that flag. And, you know, at the moment they're cooking, so that's really good. But uh, I think Sydney are in a lot of trouble. I think the Phoenix are in even more trouble than mm. anyone. And I'm not convinced that Illawarra are going to be able to make it either because they're getting wins that a, an Illawarra team not coached by Brian Gorgian would not be winning. Mm-hmm. Let's face it, Brian Gorgian, you talk about Bryce Cotton getting wins for his team. Mm-hmm. Brian Gorgian is getting wins for his team, mm-hmm. and he's the coach. It's just a remarkable scenario to watch him work. But that game against New Zealand mm-hmm. uh, last round, I just look at Brian Gorgian and say, what a genius this man is, because mm-hmm. he's got a team here that have got no right to be competing with this New Zealand team. And maybe... New Zealand have to wear a little bit of the flak for that as well. But I'm looking at the man for man, mm-hmm. the lineup here, and I'm thinking, what? How? And that's no disrespect to Illawarra, but they're, you know, without Bairstow, they're playing without an import. They've got a couple mm-hmm. of guys who are still developing against a New Zealand team, which has the core of a, a national team there. Um, and yes, I know that their import was out as well, but Brian Gorgian's coaching won that game. His belief and his ability to instill his belief into his players uh, is just off the charts. And that's why his record statistically is as good as any coach in any sport in the history of Australia. Mm. There was more a prime example of it there the other night. So mm. certainly Brisbane are right there. And I, for one, would be thrilled to see them make it. And as I say, with their lineup, it's a little different. Their point of difference sort of makes some noise and maybe cause an upset and send Andre off uh, on a high note. Mm. Mm. Um, let's talk about those 36ers to finish up. You talk about their, their humming. They got two wins over the over the weekend at home. Um, they've won, they're, what are they, 12 and 16 right now? They've won five of their last eight when you take it yeah. back that far. 
um, you you like their chances to to make a genuine playoff push. Well, I do, but I, I keep on running into roadblocks like their performances against Cancer most recently. Not the one here in Adelaide, but prior to that, when they coughed up a 16-point lead in the second quarter and Machado wasn't playing for the Cairns tie fans. See, now, that's a game, and I'm not blaming Connor Henry for this, but that's a game that a Brian Gorging coach team isn't going to lose. I, I just don't see that happening. I don't know what his uh, success, the secret potion that he has, or the mindset he's able to prevail, uh, but they win that game. But um, I know every team can look back at games and say, if only we'd won that, things would be different. So I'm not going to go down that path. But what I'll say for Adelaide is 12 and 16, which is where they finished last year, exactly 12 and 16. They've got the games they've got remaining. As I pointed out, they go Sydney, Illawarra, Sydney, starting on Sunday. So in eight days, they're going to play three games. They win those three games, which very winnable at the moment. I think they'd start favourite against Illawarra, given that they're uh, undermanned at the moment and Adelaide are finally at full strength and against Sydney who are vulnerable at the moment it wouldn't be out of the uh, ordinary to see them win that game as well other results go their way and Adelaide are in the four so once they're in the four uh, then you know as we know it's tough from there because you've got a series against Melbourne or a series against Perth and so forth but I like their chances I think Isaac Humphreys uh, didn't have a great game against Cairns and there's still improvement there Brandon Paul is looking like the Brandon Paul that played with the San Antonio Spurs and did it all there. Josh Giddy, um, while they keep winning, then Josh will keep playing. And I know there's a lot of noise about whether or not he's going to play out the season well. And he's been strong all along. And I give Josh credit for this, that he wants to play. But there was a moment earlier in the last couple of days where the conversation switched to that he wants to play. And as long as he's allowed to play, and his agent is happy until his agent says differently that he's then he's going to keep playing. So I think once Adelaide are out of playoff contention, then perhaps Josh isn't going to play beyond that. So if they were to go on this three-game away stretch before they come home for their last two home games, if they lose Sydney, lose Illawarra, and then go back to Sydney and lose again, they can't make the playoffs, is there much point in Josh playing out the season? I'd like to think that he would still play those last two home games through a Friday-Sunday scenario against Illawarra and Perth. Uh, I'd think that I'd like to think that he would play those games. Beyond that, I don't know. But um, they're certainly right there at the moment because they provide a point of difference as well. Keanu Pinder, who copped a lot of criticism earlier in the season, and yes, he didn't appear to be playing as well as we were expecting him to. Well, he's turned it around. And one thing I will point out about Keanu Pinder was the way he reacted here um, on Tuesday night when uh, Nate Jawai decided he was just going to test Josh out, which I love. I've got to say, I love that. The Keanu Pinder, who has a reputation for getting a little hostile or being a hothead and picking up a cheap foul and doing the wrong thing, if you watch his reaction to that, when Nate just stepped across in front of Josh and just gave him a shoulder just to just to make sure, and as he said, just to test him out to see if he was going to be a man and what his reaction was, that Keanu just stood between them and just separated them. He didn't want to be demonstrative and big, Nate, pick on someone your own size and all that sort of caper. He was very measured. He was very mature the way he went about it. And I see him as, as having developed into his role. Mm, mm. Daniel Johnson, I mean... Sunday Detch, arguably defensive player, that there's so much to like about mm. Adelaide that I really think that they can make the four, even though they're walking that tightrope at the moment. And can I just say, Big Nate, um, I really enjoyed that. Look, Nate was rookie of the year in his year. 
He's been to the World Championships with Australia. He's won a championship in the NBA. He's played in the NBA with multiple teams. And for him to go out of his way just to test Josh, and he's, when I asked him about it very quickly because the game was still happening, he was on the bench, and he said that uh, he turned to me and turned around, and I said, is there an issue there? And he said, I was just testing him out to see if Josh is a man. And he said, and he is. And he smiled because Josh's reaction was when he was bumped was to, and I read his I was trying to read his body language and what he was saying it was almost like come on big man what what's wrong what's up with you you know and it was like that's what Nate wanted because he's going to get that next step mm-hmm. he didn't want Josh to walk away from it he wanted him to fight back and stand up for himself and when he did that that's why Nate was so happy to hug him and and speak to him post game because he was put to the test by an Australian great, someone who's been there and done that, and he passed with flying colours. So it was a great moment between one of our all-time best in Nate and what he's done and one who's going in that direction in Josh Giddy. Mm-hmm. Um, about, talking about Keanu Pinder, it's, it's, we're watching him mature in yeah. front of our very eyes right now. We, we've been talking about that all season with Josh Giddy in a, in a fun kind of way. We're seeing that happen with Keanu Pinder as well. And that was a, that was a great... Um, little example but it's also just in his play on a on a possession by possession basis and his decision making out there on the floor uh, you talk about these upcoming couple of games for Adelaide and how important they are uh, uh, here's why they're a chance to win those games because Josh Giddy's going to play but I'll be shocked if he plays beyond this weekend what only if his agent tells him to shut it down is he going to shut it down well, I, I, and, and I thought that was really interesting that you you picked up on that because that that jumped off the screen for me when he said that and and he's been super impressive on and off the floor, Josh and and you know and the, and part of what's impressive when you listen to him speak is he's so genuine and when he says that yeah. you you do get the feeling like he means every little bit of it. He wants to play. He loves to play. He's a competitive kid, and he you know he would love to be a part. I think of a playoff push, but he made it very clear that he will play until or unless the club and his and or his agent tell him not to. And that was the right thing to say because that's the reality of it. That is the reality of this situation. We saw it with Lamelo last year. We saw it with RJ Hampton. And we're going to see that situation with potential lottery picks that are in our league as next stars. It's just what we deal with if we have these guys playing in the league. And it's what you deal with if you're Grant Kelly, if you're Jeff Van Groningen, if you're Connor Henry, if you're going to take on a kid like that. It's what Mike Kelly and the Cairns Taipans would have dealt with if Mojave King had have had the season that Josh Giddy has had. Because once your draft stock gets to a certain point, it's a, it's a risk-reward calculation now. You're talking about mega millions of dollars and a lucrative NBA career ahead of this kid. And the risk is something that needs to be taken into consideration at this point ahead of the draft. And you know that that's what they're thinking about. His dad and the club and his agent all talking about and working out right now. And there is going to come a point, wins or losses be damned, where they're going to have to make a tough call in that regard. And for me, I think I'll be shocked if he plays beyond this week. And that's going to have, it's incredible to be saying this about an 18-year-old kid in a league as tough as this, but that's going to have a fatal impact, I think, on any playoff push that they have in mind to have. Oh, without a doubt. If, uh, and the key will be 
if it's taken out of Josh's hands. Josh won't stop himself. I can guarantee you that. Josh wants to play every game and would play every game. But if the decision is taken out of his hands by his agent and higher up, the agent with information from the team, from teams that, you know, potentially will draft him again to say, we don't want to see him playing anymore, mm. then it's taken out of his hands. And you understand that I think for non-basketball people, they'll find that hard to reconcile in the, the sense that they will see it as just, oh, he didn't play after the season. That's the way they do things in the basketball, the way basketball is run. But mm. it shouldn't reflect on Josh at all. No. But you're right. If he does decide to, to pull the pin, or if he's told, I should say, that uh, it's, it's taken out of his hands, that decision, then Adelaide... They're not going to be able to, as good as they are in other areas, you just can't replace that. What he's done as an 18-year-old is irreplaceable. Take the point guard out of any team and you would say they're going to struggle from here on in, particularly one where it's dominant by the, the league's leading assists and the points he's put up and the triple-doubles that he's had and so forth. So you're right. I will say one thing, though, that they win these three games here coming up, Sydney, Illawarra, Sydney. They come home for two. And as I say... If they're still, if they win those three games and they're on the in the four, I'd be surprised if Josh didn't play at home because I know the pushback that his agent is going to get from Josh about. I don't think Josh would would be able to not play in Adelaide. <laughs> the last two home games, he's the sort of guy, as we know, he wanted to play on a bad ankle. They had to hold him back. Mm-hmm. And Jeff Van Groningen shared a story um, post game. Uh, the other night in our corporate area there with the Adelaide 36ers about the doctor when he was concussed in the game, how he had uh, inadverted commas that hoodwinked the doctor into believing that he was okay to go back out there when perhaps he wasn't. But such is his desire and the fire in his belly that he has to compete that I think Josh, even if he's told, I think he might even override it because if they're alive, (laughs) he comes back to Adelaide, he would at least think that he should farewell the fans who have been so loyal. Uh, he has just become such a phenomenon here in South Australia. Yeah. Um, in Adelaide, he's big news. He, he's dominant in terms of any sporting um, landscape. And I'm really happy the way that Adelaide have embraced him. And he's one of ours now. They'll consider him a 36ers player, even though obviously was his connection with Melbourne and, and being from Melbourne and so forth. As far as we're concerned, he played in the NBL with the Adelaide 36ers. And when he comes back to the, the NBL, he's going to play with the Adelaide 36 <laughs> we'd like to believe as well. Although I guess there's some romance about him playing in Melbourne and that would be uh, fully understandable as well. But um, it's game by game at the moment. And, um, you know, what Josh has done has been outstanding. And we're just thrilled that it, we were able to watch it firsthand and, and enjoy the ride with him and look forward to enjoying the ride with him when he gets onto a bigger stage. And I've enjoyed this ride with you. What you've done on this podcast That's has been great outstanding. <laughs> great to <laughs> great to have you on, Case, and to rip apart those, you know, those big talking points. Will Magne, Andre Lomanis, Josh Giddy, and the Adelaide 36ers in particular. And um, I appreciate your time. We'll speak soon. Look forward to it, Liam. Real pleasure to talk with you and love the work that you and the NBL office are doing there in terms of all the media. It's next level and uh, just great to be a part of it. I'm here anytime you need me. Cheers, mate. Thanks. And uh, that wraps up another episode of The Huddle, brought to you by Wilson, au.wilson.com. And um, rate, subscribe, do all those great things. Give us a review, and uh, we'll be in touch next week.